Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every Wednesday for open, honest, and real conversations about change, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources at HealingWays. That's HealingWaze.com. Hey there. I'm so excited for this episode, and it couldn't have come out at a better time. If you don't know this already, I live in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., and if you've been paying even an ounce of attention to current events, you know that we're in the midst of a crazy heat wave over here. I got to feel what 115 degrees in semi-humid climate feels like for the first time. It was wild. My eyes were burning. And now we're being bombarded with constant messages of fear around the possibilities of a horrible fire season, even worse than last year's. And if you don't know, last year was terrible over here on the West Coast. We had wildfires raging all over. For us, me personally, my family, we were lucky to have been able to stay in our home, but we were close enough to a major wildfire, one that was so big that we could see it from just a few blocks away. We had go bags packed and our valuable things and documents boxed up ready to go. And we couldn't go outside, the air was brown, we had to seal our house up with duct tape. It was miserable and definitely scary. So to say there's a lot of us who are traumatized by that should come as no surprise. So yeah. The collective fear is raging again, not just here. And we're also in the midst of a nationwide reopening and things are all confusing everywhere. And it has a lot of us on edge for all kinds of different reasons. No matter where you are in the world right now or personally, this is a great episode to listen to. My guest today, Dr. Jacqueline Tomas Ali, is one of the most courageous, resilient people I know. And she's so funny. Just love talking to her. In this conversation, we talk about fear and how to replace it with love and your health. And let's just say listening. It's a big topic in this episode. Jacqueline also shares a little bit about what it was like growing up as a black woman in the 50s and 60s, the loss of her husband, going with the flow of life, even when it's not easy, and the wisdom she's learned along the way. Stick around all the way to the end to learn more about Jacqueline's work. Enjoy. I, I feel like this is probably going to be the easiest podcast I've ever done. <laughs> really? Well, because I just, it's so easy to talk to you. It's oh, so, you know, bless your heart. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for making it easy. Thank you for being you. I think we're just going to get started because we're already chatting. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So, so Jacqueline, um, I know that you live in Philadelphia and I can't remember, were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Okay. Yes. And yes. w- where are your parents from? Are they also from Philadelphia? Um, my mother was from Philadelphia. My father was from Virginia. Oh, okay. And so we were talking before about being born and in, coming into this world in the 50s as a black person and a black woman. How was your childhood? You know, it was the best that it could be under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents worked and they were very much about not just sitting around doing nothing. They were get the best education so you can get the job, but also, you know, rent an apartment. Mm -hmm. You buy a house because property ownership was was very, very important Mm -hmm. uh, at that time and going forward because it didn't happen that often. So they really reinforced those uh, uh, those choices and those values in in raising. And you know what's interesting, um, <laughs> to this day, it has, especially in terms of residents, it has really had an impact on my whole thinking about residents and not so much where, because the where has, has evolved over, over time. But um, I'm in a phase in my life where I am ready to move. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm ready to simplify a lot of things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I and and that voice in the background says, you're not going to, to get an apartment. You're not going to rent. You got to have something that you're going to own. And and I'm really working to reconcile that. So your parents owned a house. Was that something that a lot of black families were able to do easily in that? I mean, I just know, like over here on the West Coast, it seems like it was around the 50s when a lot of a lot of black families were moving over from the East Coast. And Mm -hmm. and it was and it was still really hard for them to own to purchase and own houses. And education actually was harder to attain. How do you think it was for your parents? They did a good job in covering it up. So that so that's that, why that's why you're so sunny and positive. <laughs> Your parents just shoved everything under the rug. <laughs> yeah. And and but you know what though, but they were very diligent about um saving and and pooling monies together. Mm-hmm. I can remember um my uh parents giving me a camera for a birthday and I was just so delighted getting this camera and I would just take pictures of different things and I remember taking several pictures of my parents sitting at the dining room table talking about the finances and how they were going to pay this pay that and my father was the one who actually wrote the checks to pay out Mm-hmm. Um, my mother would not, I don't know whether that's just what they agreed on or whether he just said, no, I'm writing the checks and, you know, but I remember that image and I have taken pictures. I took pictures of that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the norm for that area, uh, where, where we lived. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, there were families where the, Husband was the breadwinner and the wife was the stay-at-home mother. Mm-hmm. There were those instances. Um, for the most part, though, both parents would work. Mm-hmm. Did they? Did mm-hmm. your parents um, go to college? My father did not. Okay. My mother did, but much later on mm-hmm. uh, as an adult because um, my mother uh, worked for the city of Philadelphia. And at that time, that's when uh, Philadelphia was just starting their community college. Mm. Uh, they needed folks to come and try it out. And so my mother attended maybe a year Mm -hmm. worth of uh, uh, courses there. Did you grow up in an area that was pretty diverse Mm -mm. or was it very segregated? Oh, it was very segregated. And it was segregated to the point where uh, black families were only allowed to live in certain sections. Oh, wow. And um, the section where we lived the whole block was black families, except for our next door neighbor, but they were an older couple, an older white couple. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't in that place of, of moving because they had health challenges. Mm-hmm. Eventually they did move, but some of their family members came and got them and relocated them to live with family. Yeah, so we were only allowed to live in certain areas in Philadelphia. And then as more and more whites moved to the suburbs, Mm -hmm. then there was the discussion, uh, do we keep this section and, and just have whites live here, or do we allow blacks to live here? So it was wow. it was an interesting, interesting uh, um, experience. But you know, we just you you make it you kind of make it work. Yeah, yeah, and it know? just felt like normal to you. In a well, I don't know. I don't know if normal was the word because okay. I didn't have a frame of reference. Right. Or, Harrison. Right. I just knew that that was the way it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but my parents were not the type, the pushover. They were not like that. They were very, <laughs> 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 they, 
they were, had spitfire uh, uh, temperaments and personalities to the world, to each other, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You, they passed that down to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is very true. Do you, did you go to an all-black school then as well? For elementary school, I did. Wow. Okay. And at that time, it was elementary, junior high, high school. Right behind the house was the elementary school. So all we had to do was walk around the corner to attend that school. And then when it came to, at that time, we taught junior high. It was no middle school. Yeah. It was junior when I graduated from elementary school, the discussion was, do we go to the neighborhood junior high school or what other junior high school allowed black students? So it was decided, which I agreed not to have us go, not to have me go to the neighborhood junior high school, but to go to another junior high school that that area accepted black students mm. so it meant catching the bus but you know it was a, a single ride catching public plan transportation and that was junior high mm-hmm. and my mother had uh, goals for for me and I, I later realized that she had a nice little uh, click with parents of of some of the other students mm-hmm. that you know where we hung out together they they kind of formed their own thing yeah and um they did not want us to go to the neighborhood high school because there was only one and that neighborhood high school they just didn't want that and what mm-hmm. they really wanted was for us to have a better quality education so in philadelphia there is an academic high school called the Philadelphia High School for Girls. And you had to have a certain academic average in order to qualify to go to that school. We, meaning we students, we just maintained because it was what we did. You know, we got that push from our parents and what have you. And so their goal was to have us go to uh, Girls High as it was called. And we just wanted to go to Girls High in 10th grade because Girls High starts at 9th grade. So it was 9 through 12. Mm. We wanted to graduate from junior high so that we can have that second graduation, that junior high graduation. <laughs> Priorities. Um, yes, exactly. 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 But then it was... Um, quite evident Mm -hmm. that the word got out that these black students were planning on going to girls high. And so what some of the teachers did that did not uh, uh, want us to go Mm -hmm. was they would give uh, failing grades so that we would not qualify to go. And I mean, I got an F in hygiene. Come oh on. my God! Come on! <laughs> and so you know, I I said something wow. to to the instructor, to the teacher, and he said, "Yeah." And and so, what you going to do about it? And so, I, I don't know if I told my mother or, but anyway, she and and her crew ended up meeting with the principal to find out why our children were getting A's, A's, F. Mm-hmm. You know, what was going on? And she didn't go into any details with me, but just the kind of gist of it. And the bottom line was that we needed to get out of there eighth grade and start high school ninth grade. Otherwise, they would not have allowed us to to uh, to go. Oh, my gosh. So, I'm so proud of your mom. What What was her name? <laughs> Catherine. Catherine. Go Catherine. Yes. 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 (laughs) Catherine. Yes. Yes. Oh, because that really, I mean, that really helped you. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're highly educated. You're extremely smart. You've had some awesome careers. And I think just that, I'm sure there were a lot of other things she did, but that move with her and the moms. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> going to talk to the principal. Yes. That's awesome. And I didn't know that that's what had happened until we were in Girls High and I noticed all my friends that I hung around with had the same experience. Mm-hmm. And then we started putting our uh, conversations together and then realized, oh, so our parents got together and they went up there and did whatever it was they needed to do. Because otherwise they intended to stop us from going. Mm-hmm. How horrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, it worked out. It did work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got, I think that's strong, just strong resilience from your parents. I mean, that's obvious. Exactly. That you know, fight. Your mom, yeah. Your mom and her friends were a huge minority there, and they stood up to that insane practice. And exactly. Exactly. Fought for you guys. And who knows even what, how that rippled out to the kids be past you guys, right? I'm sure. Exactly. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I don't know, and probably, you know, if it's for me to know, it'll be made known. Yeah. You're right. I don't know how it rippled out, but I, I can't believe that it did not have any effect on, on folks. And so once we got to Girls High, the class that we were in had the most Black students that Girls High had ever had. And then when we went from ninth grade to 10th grade, then the next class coming after us had uh, about the same number of black students, maybe a few more. So at some point, I guess, yeah, the trend did uh, have an impact. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. So, so how did it feel then? I mean, I don't know. Did you feel like you weren't welcome? In Girls High? Yeah. Oh, no, we didn't. No. I, I didn't okay. feel that way. I don't okay. know whether others did, but I didn't feel that way. The only Good. thing that that I was going through was I didn't get to graduate from junior high school like I wanted to. <laughs> Back to the priorities. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But... Oh. Um, well, yeah, that's wonderful but, then. So yeah. you had a pretty good high school experience then. Pretty good, cool. yes. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, they were very conscious of how they treated us. And, and you know what? I would not be surprised if there weren't any talk of lawsuits because mm-hmm. my mother worked for City Hall. Ah, okay. Yeah, so she had some extra pull. Yes. Yeah. And she was a judicial secretary. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So she had some, so, some knowledge there too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, go mom. You've had, a, you've had several careers. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I <laughs> you have, have you have. Uh-huh. So uh, did you go right on to college? Yes. Yes, okay. I did. Um, I went to Penn State and, um, and, Keep in mind that the the educational lineage piece was so that I could get a job, stay in that job for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. retire, collect a pension, uh, Social Security, and then ride off into the sunset. For like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 20, 25, 30 if you're lucky. But <laughs> uh-huh. And at that time, the... the uh, a career that was most open um, for black students, especially women, black mm-hmm. women, was education and becoming a teacher. So that was her push. So therefore, I said, all right, you know, I didn't know. I, I was like, okay, and um, worked at a private school for a couple of years and then went into the public school system. Mm-hmm. And the public school system had a program whereby the more education you had, the more money you made. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, since I'm going to be here, I might as well make the most that I can make. And yeah. therefore I um, got my master's degree and they also had a, a another piece which they call a master's plus 30 meaning that 30 other 30 additional credits really put you at the top of that pay scale mm-hmm. and then after that then you would just get incremental raises based on 
what was worked out with the union and the school system Mm -hmm. and and all of that. (laughs) Yeah. So you were just working, thinking that you're going to be a teacher forever. Yes. Just retire. And like you said, right off into the sunset. Yes. But that didn't happen. No. (laughs) So you you left teaching. Why? Because I got after 20 years and I can't explain it any other way than the way that it happened. I got this strong internal feeling in my gut and this message, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, go where? I'm not going anywhere. But it was consistent and persistent. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not going anywhere, but it wouldn't give up. So I had enough time where I could take a sabbatical and not have to use it for either educational travel or going to school because that was part of the uh, the rules for the mm-hmm. city. But I had enough time in that I could take just my own a step back sabbatical and uh, not have to fulfill that educational or travel piece. Mm-hmm. So I said, let me take the sabbatical and figure this out because there's something something going on. And I'm thinking that when when I took the sabbatical, that things would just kind of even out and that push to leave would just kind of quiet down. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. It got louder and more consistent and persistent. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. And I'm like, oh, my God. So when I realized that it was not going anywhere and that there must be something else out there for me to do, I said, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm scared, but I have got to follow through because I'm not going to be, I just knew that I was not going to be left out there hanging without being protected and covered in terms, whether you want to call it religion or whatever, but I knew God would not leave me hanging out there, mm-hmm. you know, and having received this message. So, you know, I said, okay, I'm just going to do it, go for it, see what happens. So I went to the uh, main administrative office and said, I'm here to hand in my resignation. And I had a nice little letter written up and everything. (laughs) Did you know where you were going at that point? I had no (laughs) freaking idea. I had no freaking idea. None. None. Oh, my God. I love it. So the uh, folks there looked up my records. And when the uh, HR person saw my record, she came back to me and she was laughing. And I'm like, I'm saying to myself, what the hell is she laughing at? This is, this is serious. She's laughing. <laughs> and what she was doing was, you know, lightening up the, the, the whole thing. And she says, sweetie, you're not resigning. You're just retiring because you're vested. You're not old enough to collect a pension. But when the time comes when you are, just let us know and we'll get things set up for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Nice. And as I was walking to my car, I'm like, now what the hell am I going to do? Because at that point, I had mortgage. I had expenses with property and all that. I'm like, how am I going to pay off? So I got this thing inside of me that said, why don't you check out an employment agency? So I said, you know what? You're right. Because this way they can offer me a whole range of of, uh, positions and I can pick and choose what works for me and and all that. So I did. I went to an employment agency. Of all the jobs that they were offering, the one that was paying the most was call center representative for a pharmaceutical company. And so I'm like, I don't care. You know, they paid well. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. It probably seemed easy. Yeah, it did, because the information was pretty straightforward, Mm -hmm. and it's just answering calls, and and the calls were um, 
not only patients, but also salespeople, doctors, pharmacies, those kinds. So the information was pretty well organized in the manual. However, the way that the information came down to us was pretty kind of scattered. Yeah. Were you liking that job once you started it? It wasn't so much me liking it. It was the fact that it paid the bills. Mm -hmm. I liked the salary. Yeah. I liked that it could cover the ex- my expenses. Mm-hmm. And I figured I'll do this for a while, and then maybe this will help me sort out where my next steps were going mm-hmm. to be. So what happened in the background, when pharmaceutical companies take over another company. It's not a friendly merger. It's a hostile takeover. And so that's what we experienced. And I'm not going to name the pharmaceutical company. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little podcast. I don't need need a pharmaceutical company after me. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that's, but it was, that was status quo business. Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right. So then they brought us in one at a time, asked different questions. And I'm saying, okay, so now this is going to be uh, the, the place where they are going to clean and clear things out in this area. And I said, well, you know what? I'll just go on unemployment and be able to get something else. Mm-hmm. So they interviewed each one of us, I would say, in uh, approximately in a two to three week time. And the call center had about 25 people. So, you know, we kind of, you know, how how people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what they said to me. What did they say to you? Blah, yep. Blah, blah. Yep. So, you know, we, but we just had to let it go and because there was nothing we could do to control it. Mm-hmm. So after everyone was, re- was interviewed, they called me back in and I'm thinking, all right, this is it. And I'll just have to find something else. So I was kind of prepared mentally. And I said, well, you know, it is what it is. What they did, though, instead was ask me to organize a training program so that when information from research and development would come down to folks on the phone, it would be in a more organized fashion Mm -hmm. than the way it was then. And I'm like, what? So they're kind of promoting you rather than you losing your job. You were being promoted. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what? And I, and, and at that point I said, well, let me really push the envelope here. And I said, but I'm a vegetarian. I'm into herbs. And their response was, we don't care. You have the background. You have the education. We feel confident that you can do this. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just kind of meditate, pray over this yeah. for a couple of days. And and I waited, and it felt good internally. And so I told them yes. And I was, I'm grateful for that because not only did it provide the financial support, mm-hmm. but it also helped me to understand how the pharmaceutical industry works and that it's not personal. It's business. Mm -hmm. It is truly, truly business. So I stayed in that for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. All right. 10 years. Hey, so I know that you got married along the way. Yes. Correct? Yes. And your husband did pass away. Was that before or after this career or during? It was during. It was during the career. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, so you, let's, let's talk a little bit about your husband and, and the loss and everything, because you're so inspirational and positive and you've, (laughs) you say that like you're surprised every time. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I, you know, I still have an HB on my chest that stands for human being. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, (laughs) and I have my, my, uh, 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 my times, you Uh know, how I do things. So yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. You're human. Mm -hmm. But you know, you're very spiritual human. You're very connected, which I think has probably helped you out in a lot of areas in your life. Have you always been like that? Is that something you you grew up with? You know what? 
I believe it was. Okay. But it was not the way that my parents expected. Yeah. Because I can remember a time when I was about eight years old and I was having a conversation. I just felt that I needed to share this conversation with my mother. And I started telling her how things were going to line up in my life going forward. And she freaked out out she started screaming no 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 so from that point on she took what the nest what she thought were the necessary steps to make me normal so she and got me involved with a lot of of uh, entertainment type things, uh, ballet. I don't know if you call that entertainment. Yeah. But, and uh, uh, classical concerts, a lot of things with the arts mm-hmm. and uh, community events and things like that. And so what that's told me was, well, when I have those little inspirations, I know I can't share that with them because they would just freak out. Why do you think so she I freaked out so much? Because of what I was saying, mm-hmm. the focus that I had for what I was saying, and that it did not fit the timeline of activities that she had in mind for me oh, in okay. terms, because see, I was the oldest okay. and you know, that, that firstborn, that's when parents really set goals and visions for their firstborn. Mm-hmm. And then with children after that, they learn how to make those adjustments. <laughs> I'm a firstborn. Yes, I know. So you know, know what I'm true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I let my parents down in many ways. <laughs> And then they were so much easier on my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. So you kind of always then, it sounds like, have been in touch with your intuition. Yes. Um, and you grew up with some religion, it sounds like. Absolutely. Because okay. my mother was very active in a community church. My father was too. And in time, he became a deacon yeah. You were taught about faith. Mm-hmm. But being yeah. taught about it and experiencing it, two different things. Right, right. You know, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of people that grow up with a religion but have little or no faith. So they don't have to yes. go hand in hand for sure. You just had that knowing naturally, I think. Yes. That probably helped. Yeah. So let's talk about your your husband. How old were you when you got married? I was in my 40s. I was in my early 40s. Okay. Because I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't really want to get married when I was younger. Uh What I wanted to do was to have fun, travel, experience life. And I knew that once I got married, all of that would be gone because then it's that thing of raising children. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I've been, I had dated, been proposed to several times. And I'm like, no, thank you. But nothing personal, but no. So I really spent a good number of years just having fun traveling. Yeah. You know, yeah, Yeah, there was a party stuff, but mainly traveling. Yeah. And you had your career. Yes. So, so you so you didn't get married until your forties. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your husband. That whole experience was really very unique in that I was working with a team of folks who would uh, put together groups for fasting, fasting groups. Mm -hmm. And my husband attended the fasting group. And my role with the fasting group was to provide the herbs and the nutrients, things like that. Mm -hmm. So they had the participants stand in line and hand out. So when he saw me, he froze and he just stared And I'm noticing that and I'm like, what the world? But, you know, I just kind of just, you know, passed it on. After that, he bought certain herbs from me separately. And it wasn't until he had to explain that that was his way of getting my attention. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and then once we went on our first date, we went to the movies and had a nice time. By the second date, the second date was when he proposed marriage. Whoa. You're like, like, I've gone all these years and <laughs> And I'm like, you you don't I don't know what you, you just stop. Just no. I don't know you. You don't know me. And and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but he never gave up. He didn't he was not discouraged. He continued to uh, emphasize the fact that he wanted he wanted us to get married. Mm-hmm. And so I I talked to my sister about it and she uh, said, you know, why don't you go for it? What do you have to lose at this point? We met in January, dated, had our first date in April. And by October of that same year, we were married. So he was something else. He <laughs> he worked for an automotive company that was based here in Philadelphia called the Bud Company. And he got wind of the fact that the location in Philadelphia was going to be shutting down. So we talked about it and he says, I'm not going to uh, try to look for another job. I'm going to retire. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So, if, okay. You know, because we did the money thing and I'm like, fine. Were you working for the pharmaceutical company at that point? No, at okay. that point I was in the healthcare field as an administrator. So we were able to make sure that expenses and things were covered. Mm -hmm. And then plus what he would receive for um, retirement, we were able to financially handle things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also we found out during that time that he had prostate cancer Mm. and he was adamant adamant about not having uh, chemo, radiation, or surgery. Mm -hmm. He really wanted to approach it from more of a holistic perspective and and practice. Mm -hmm. And and I remember one time he says, look, please don't make me have chemo or radiation. And I'm saying to myself, make you? You mean I got that kind of influence where I can make you? (laughs) You're like, why did I use this earlier? <laughs> oh, but you I didn't make him. No, I said, no, I did not make him. <laughs> but what it did was it helped me to explore and really delve into real serious, heavy duty health protocols in terms of herbs, uh, supplements, um, uh, water, the importance of water, mm-hmm. lifestyle, you know, and, and it really served as a very intense precursor to me in being in, in a program where I would become a naturopathic physician. Wow. Yes. Bless, a blessing in the hardship for sure. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Yes, so exactly. you, you helped him through the cancer journey and I'm sure that wasn't easy. No, it wasn't, but because neither one of us knew what we were doing, Mm -hmm. but we did what we felt was best. And ultimately, I had to really understand and honor the request and the um, desires that he had, because at the beginning of our marriage, uh, two months after we got married, my father passed away from lung cancer. He kind of helped me navigate through that. It really helped to have my whole perspective on the body's ability to heal and understanding that certain circumstances needed to prevail. You know, it was an interesting experience of watching and assisting your mate in trying to become healthy, remain healthy, but Mm -hmm. not knowing whether what you were doing was working and giving the emotional support, but also accepting the fact that it may not work and he may transition. 
And so I had to really, it helped me to develop a healthy understanding of transition. And I know it was a key factor in why today I have no fear whatsoever of of death and dying. Mm-hmm. That it's not over. It's just moving from one plane to the next. Yeah. And he really helped me to to really understand that. And uh, and I, I'm very grateful for that. Very, very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful. Wow. So, yeah, another mm-hmm. blessing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, yes, we are in times like that, given the opportunity, I think every time that there is blessings within the hardship and whether or not we see them or not is, you know, it's our perspective. So you went into it with the right perspective. And then it sounds like you had his support. Um, once he did pass, how was your life after that? Were you like a total wreck? Were you like stoic and keeping it together? <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, there was th- both. Yeah. It was both mm-hmm. because I had to try to figure out how am I going to, because um, I still have my house and all the expenses and a mortgage and all of that. How am I going to cover all of those expenses on just my salary because what was interesting is that we had a role reversal where he was the housewife Mm -hmm. and I was the husband going out to work. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, how am I going to take my salary to cover? Because once he transitioned, um, I was no longer qualified to receive his his pension because Mm -hmm. of how things were set up and that whatever financial pieces um, I had to work it out for myself. Now, trust me, I had some and still have some awesome health benefits. Awesome. But um, in terms of the financial piece, so I just did the best I could with what I had. Um, So I I was able to change over Mm -hmm. the electric to my name, the gas to my name, the water to my name. And I was going to do that with the mortgage Mm -hmm. because, you know, you had to have death certificates to do all that. And something said, no, wait, pay the mortgage for a whole year. And then this way it'll make the changeover a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Okay, so I can't tell you how I made it, how it worked, but I did not pay. uh, I paid the mortgage, but it was it stayed in his name for a whole year. And then after a year, I notified them, sent them the death certificate. They, of course, went back to the records and said, oh, she paid this mortgage on time and and was never a default for a whole year. So they just automatically put it in my name rather than having me go through the approval process. Mm. So once again, you had that voice telling you to do something and you listened. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what you are skilled at is listening. <laughs> you, have, you have all these great qualities, resilient, and you know, I'm like, I mentioned, but listening is probably... One of your top skills, because you pay attention it's, and listen. It, it, it ain't always easy, though, because sometimes no. I'm hearing stuff. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying you, you're willing. You, just, you hear it, not always willing, but yeah. you eventually head in that, in yeah. that direction. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm like you. I'm stubborn as hell. I dig in my heels. Some, I, I, no, that is not what I want. And then I go, okay, mm-hmm. fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> but sometimes and, I fail I into it. <laughs> Yeah, but I do it with the understanding in the background mm-hmm. that I know that they truly have my best interests at heart and they're right. not going to throw me out there to fail right. and just sit down and do what I'm supposed to do and just be quiet. Yeah, so I think I understand when you say they, when you're talking they, like the what you hear, but my listeners might not. So what do you mean by when you say they, they say this or I know they have my, my back? What are you talking about? Excellent question. Excellent, excellent (laughs) question. And this has to do with 
our incarnation into this earth plane that we, this human existence is not the, the end all and the be all. It's not who we really are. It is a role that we play because on this earth plane, we can learn and have experiences to develop ourselves individually as well as uh, a community and across the planet. Mm-hmm. So when we are born, before we are born, we outline what we would like to learn, whether it's um, humility or compassion, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we have help in doing and setting that up. We have help not only from our ancestral lineage, um, because they've been here and they understand and know how things work. Mm-hmm. But we also have help at, from how a person wants to call them. They, they don't really care. But in some in some instances, they're referred to as guides, spiritual mm-hmm. guides, uh, angels, uh, ascended masters. What they told me was that they don't care what they're called. They know that one of the things that humans do is that we have to name it, claim it, call it something. That's just mm-hmm. how we're wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their focus is on maintaining and assisting us and and helping us follow through with the promises that they said that they would before we were born before we incarnated and we can pretty much do whatever that we want. The, the key thing though, is they must honor our free will choices. They do not have a choice. That was one of the gifts that God gave us mm-hmm. all yes. humans is free will. Yeah. We all have free will and they can push and prod which I noticed, you know, when I left teaching, how mm-hmm. persistent they can be. But they could not, I guess, like enter into my body and make me do this. <laughs> you know, a puppet. That. Yeah. No, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They just know how to. They know how to nag, and and but they were doing it because they knew the plans that I had uh, a set up and established. Mm-hmm. So each one of us has a crew, has a a group, has a team, whatever you want to call them. And, um, and they are there to assist and help us. Yeah. Sometimes the help is to push us in a way that is more leaning in line with where we need to go. Other times it's just wrapping their arms around us and say, we want to walk you through this mud. Mm-hmm. We're not taking you out of the mud because you're going to learn some valuable things while you're in this mud. So that's the they. Yes. Is that kind of, does that answer I, Totally. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear for others that may be confused. Mm-hmm. Do you have advice for people that don't know how to hear, I guess, or connect with, with their team? Because I know that you believe, and I believe the same, that that team's available to all of us. But there are so many people that that can't hear it or, uh, you know, I don't think they're choosing to not be able to hear it. They just can't. So are there ways that you can help people listen better? What I learned was that with all of the myriad of emotions that we have described on this earth plane, there are really only two. Mm. Love and fear. And when we really occupy and come from that place of love, initially starting out loving ourselves unconditionally, saying, yeah, uh, you know, I have uh, uh, some, some issues in trust or anger or whatever the case may be, but I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. And when we continually work through and have that focus and that desire of our own unconditional love, we then are open to receive the love that they have for us. Yeah. But if we if we are filled with fear and translate that fear into anger or doubt, or mistrust, 
or whatever the cases may be, mm-hmm. then we can't hear it because fear is not the voice that we can get it from. We mm. need to get it from the voice of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of practice with that. You know, whether a person has uh, affirming statements, I needed to do affirmations mm-hmm. for a period of time to really get it for me to understand it. And then meditation helps. Um, if a person wants to get the, go the route of getting it through religion, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one way. There's many different ways. Just like there's no one way to get from, I use the analogy that I use with my clients is getting from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C., all of the different routes that are available. Mm-hmm. Is one better than the other? Just it different. depends. Yeah. yeah. It's just different. Yeah. And someone might really like one way, but they don't like the other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's perfect. That's a great Some analogy. Some people want to... They want to get there fast. Mm-hmm. Others want to take the scenic route. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. So the, the bottom line is if the goal is loving ourselves unconditionally, and it doesn't mean being narcissistic mm-hmm. or being selfish. Yeah. That's where the unconditional part comes in that. Yeah. I have issues. Yeah. I've got problems and stuff like that. However, I'm still worthy of love and I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. I'm working it better than when we fill ourselves up, we are then open to receive it from whether it's from another person, from our folks, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So you were listening to them after your husband died or transitioned. I, I love that term so much more. I need to get in the habit of using transition because it's just, it's lighter and it, it feels better to say for sure. So after he transitioned, I'm sure you were getting all kinds of messages here and there, whether or not you couldn't hear them or not at the time, but you then did make another really big career change. Yes. Yeah. And you really dove into that holistic healing mindset while you were helping him through his cancer journey. So I know, I know a lot of about it, but I want you to let my listeners know what you, what did you do okay. next? <laughs> and, and it's not, you know, our lives don't move in a linear fashion. Yeah. So there's a lot of overlaps. Mm-hmm. So if you try to ask me the timeline, I may not be able to give you a timeline, but I can kind of, kind of sort out the, yeah. the, the sequence of events During the time when he was still on this side, I started working for a healthcare system. Again, Mm -hmm. I was pausing or not trying to say it. (laughs) I was working from the administrative piece Mm -hmm. and not so much patient care, but the administrative piece because I needed to see how the pharmaceutical linked in with the healthcare, how those pieces came together. I didn't know that at the time, but I was just following the breadcrumbs. And after my husband transitioned, Um, I, you know, did my best. I threw myself into my work as my way of uh, coping. And my folks let me know that my boss was in the process of wanting to get rid of me. And I, to this day, I really couldn't tell you why. I really don't Mm -hmm. know why. And what they were doing was just giving me a heads up Mm -hmm. because the plans of my position being eliminated were very much involved. My um, boss at that time tried to find ways to fire me, but HR wouldn't go for it because uh, there was nothing in my records to indicate that I was not following through with the work assignments. And he was giving me excellent reviews you know, you don't give someone excellent reviews and then try to fire you. Mm-hmm. So maybe he so, didn't even know um, he was listening to his team and his team was like, just fire her. And, <laughs> and he's like, why just do it all for this greater. Be. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. It could be. So, <laughs> cause, so cause they know, they know what's next. They you. know the bigger picture. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they know the bigger picture. Exactly. So when he realized that the only thing he could do was eliminate my position, 
And, and in fact, I remember being in a particular room where we would make photocopies and shred. Mm-hmm. And, and I was at the shredder and my folks said, it's, it's happening today. And so I said, bring it on. So, so shortly thereafter, I went back to my office. He called me into his office and he also recruited two other members of the administrative team Mm -hmm. to be a part of this. I said, okay. And he really expected me to really get emotional and and everything because he wanted me to leave all of my work there Mm -hmm. so that his replacement or for me replacement will be able to just follow what I did and copy what I did. But that's not what I did. I just took all my paperwork, everything, and shredded every last drop of it. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, shredded every last bit See, of it. See, you're human. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just shredded the stuff, and I left. You know, at first, you know, there was that just that shock piece yeah. of, what the world just happened? Mm-hmm. What just happened? But then what I was, what I realized in time, because, you know, at that point, I was able to collect unemployment and so forth. Mm-hmm. But also, I had finished my training and my education to be a naturopath. And it was time to launch my practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you guys, is deep. <laughs> so, you, you know, did. I did. Yeah, I did. You dove I did. in. Yeah, How I did. How long ago was that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 2000. I got my, I got the degree 2007. Okay. And launched my practice. I did it from home first. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I did, did it somewhere like around 2008, 2009. Okay. And then my niece moved in with me and... Um, I realized I could not do this at home anymore, that I needed to find a location to mm-hmm. practice. And it was at that time that I was also introduced and started studying about energy medicine and became uh, aware of and further explored body talk, the body mm-hmm. talk system. And one of my study colleagues told me about the place where I practiced before I am before where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I just went from home to that location and, and it was on, it was a, a lot of work. A yeah. Lot of work. Yeah. But you're not, you know, you're not scared of a lot of work. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm and not. So you haven't looked back. You, I know that you love your career. I it do. suits you. You suit it. It is just what you were made for. I think. How has this last year been for your practice and for you? And <laughs> yeah. okay. how can how can we consolidate that into like a couple minutes? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'll do my best to 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 be as brief as I could. When Philadelphia went to the went through the shutdown, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had my schedule, I had my clients all booked up, and they went through the shutdown. And I called each one, and and we talked about the options. And they really didn't want to give it up; they really wanted to come in. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, you know what? Just wait a moment. Let me find out what's happening in the area, because where I practiced down the street was a police station." And there were a lot of police going up and down the street. And I didn't know whether they were handing out tickets or just what, because we'd never been through this before. So I actually took off uh, the month of April so that I could explore what the situation was going to be. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of April, when I realized that they were not, not handing out tickets and that there was a mask mandate, I called each one of my clients and said, this is a situation they're not handing out tickets and do you want to wait or do you want to come in every last one of them said I want to come in and so you know I've been busy week to month I mean just ongoing Mm -hmm. so it didn't really die down for me other than when I took that time 
I stopped or I paused yeah. to find out what was going on and yeah. how they were going to handle things. Yeah, and you've really made some huge strides. You moved to a new wellness center. You're now part of more yes. like a collective, a group. You're yes. actually on the board. So like yes. you're, you've had some amazing changes in your career. Yes. And personally, it seems like you've weathered this last year pretty well. Probably I come did. Back down to your mindset and that resilience that you've got. But also, yeah, and that, that was one of the keys that I asked my folks, all right, so now you know the whole thing with this house. I know it's serious, mm-hmm. but how serious is it for a collective group as well as myself? Yeah. And what they told me was because I had certain things in place in terms of keeping my immune system up, Mm-hmm. in terms of supplements, exercise, water, and things like that. Yeah. I should be good. I'll be mm-hmm. good. They said, but one thing that I must not do is to allow fear to be my factor. Because if I were to enter into a place of fear, it would dwindle down my protection. And I yeah. would leave myself open and vulnerable to uh, becoming ill Mm -hmm. and I'm like oh is that it oh okay I'm good then I'm I'm good I'm straight and because I wasn't afraid then my clients weren't and then you know I was able to help them out in so many ways yeah so what are some ways that you've Mm -hmm. helped your clients and maybe for people listening that are struggling with that fear what's some advice you give your patients to help overcome that fear one of the key things well two key things is Make sure how, whichever way you uh, decide to do it, that you are supplementing your diet in ways that will maintain the strength of your immune system, Mm -hmm. whether it's through taking supplements, vitamin C, things like that, or whether it's food or whether it's both. You know, there's so much information that there's there's no one thing that a person should do. They can try multiple things. But the other piece that I found to be very crucial is having some ritual or behavior that they can do on a regular basis ongoing to help keep the emotional peace in check and balanced, whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's Tai Chi, Qigong, walking in in nature, Mm -hmm. being at the beach, those kinds of things, but having that ritual consistent so that when times come up, And they do Mm -hmm. when times come up that there's concern and being mindful of the media that you uh, engage with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big one. Yes. (laughs) Turn that news off. (laughs) See, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, that's pretty much what it is. I'll say that. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Turn that news off. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's national or local. um, Whether you're getting it on social media or on the TV or the radio. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Throwing it in there. That's true. (laughs) And then just, just use those practices, you know, intermingle them mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And when you feel that you're getting into that uh, danger zone of, I don't know, you know, that fear mm-hmm. thing, then have your, have your backup. What's, what's your backup plan? Are you going to go outside, sit on the step, get some fresh air? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to do some yoga? Are you going to work out? Whatever it is, have your backup plan and use it consistently. And I guarantee that it will help minimize uh, the changes and the emotional fears. And it's not to say that you won't feel fear because fear is an emotion, uh, human emotion, Mm -hmm. but you won't find yourself really getting stuck in and dug in. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, it's almost like a, uh, a spoiled child, you can tell it to go sit down over there. <laughs> and <laughs> I see you now. Go sit in the corner. Exactly. <laughs> 
I love you, but no, nah, we're, we're not doing this. No, okay. no, no. You're helpful in circumstances, not this one. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because if a bear is running after me, they're going to, yeah, you better warn me. But please, other than that, no. Nah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Jacqueline, as always, I love talking to you. Do you have any last words of wisdom that you want to add? I don't know how you could, but I feel like you might. Just love your life. Love your life, no matter what it is. The, the good, the bad, the ugly. Just love your life. Because when you come from that place of love in your heart, it opens up a lot of doors and it helps when things become kind of wonka, mm-hmm. and they do, yeah. that you're still able to say, all right, this too shall pass. You know, I'll, I'll get beyond this. It's all good. And then you just keep, keep going, but love your life. Mm, yes. Well, thank you. That was awesome. You're welcome. I enjoyed this. Thank you. <laughs> yes. After listening, are you ready to take charge of your thoughts, become a better listener, and become the master of your own healing? Well, Dr. Jacqueline Tomas Ali customizes her approach and tailors it to your individual needs along with your lifestyle and physical makeup. She uses state-of-the-art techniques to identify and address your health challenges easily and effectively. Dr. Jacqueline is committed to helping you in whatever way you need. Ignite your body's natural healing abilities and get empowered with true health and well-being, just as nature intended. Dr. Jacqueline of Earthly Essence is available to help online, but if you'd like to see her in person, her practice is located in Wissahickon Wellness, a collaboration of wellness providers in the greater Philadelphia area and beyond. Visit dralind.com to find out more. And there's even more ways to connect with Dr. Jacqueline Tomas Ali in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Our stories may be different, but we all have one thing in common. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate life on this planet, and none of us have it completely figured out. No matter what you're going through in your life, just know that you are never really alone. Come back every Wednesday for more inspiration and connection, and follow me on Instagram at thedragonflymama.com so we can stay in touch between episodes. Take care. Mm-hmm.